Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Jill Paul's latest book, Jackie and Maria, takes two of the world's most glamorous and privileged women of their time, Jackie Kennedy Onassis and opera star Maria Callas, and offers us a novel about their love of the same man, who also happened to be the world's richest man at that time, Aristotle Onassis. It's tagged, first comes love, then comes betrayal, and it's an addictive read that offers a front row seat to an infamous rivalry, as well as the opportunity to hobnob vicariously with the rich and famous. What's not to like? We're delighted to be giving away three ebook copies of Jackie and Maria to three lucky readers. Enter the draw on our Joys of Binge Reading website or on our Binge Reading Facebook page. You've got to be in to win a copy of this fascinating read. You'll find the links to Jill's books and a full transcript of the podcast on thejoysofbingereading.com. Enter the draw there, and while you're there, leave us a comment or a suggestion for who you'd like to hear next. We love to hear from our readers. But now, here's Jill. Hello there, Jill, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Jenny, thank you so much for inviting me back again. It's lovely to speak to you. Yes, and it is the second time we've talked, and it's a real pleasure. Look, we, we got you back because this book that you've just published, your latest book, is a fascinating one. It's on a topic that will appeal to many people. But first of all, let's just clarify, it's got two different titles, depending on which part of the world you're reading it. Tell us about that. Why has it got two titles and where does each one apply? Oh, it's so complicated. It's called Jackie and Maria in the United States and Canada. But my UK publishers decided that the two names weren't recognisable enough for the British market, I think. So they came up with this other title, The Second Marriage. And that's the title it will have in Australia and New Zealand as well. So, but I do get readers contacting me saying, I've read Jackie and Maria, where can I buy the second marriage? And I have to explain, I hope nobody buys the same book twice. (laughs) That's right. It is a bit confusing, but a lot of the publishers do do that. Hmm. Um, I find it a bit unbelievable, really, that the names Jackie and Maria wouldn't have much resonance in the UK, but there we are. That's um, so, So I think we know who you're talking about, Jackie Onassis, Kennedy Onassis and Maria Callas. That's who we're talking about. That's right. The tagline for the book is, I think it's a great one, first comes love, then comes betrayal. (laughs) At their time, the most famous and wealthy women perhaps in the world, what did inspire you to tackle them as a subject? In fact, it was a reader in Athens who got in touch with me. Her name is Barbara Duca, and she wrote to me on Twitter and said, you know, why don't you write about Callis and Onassis and Jackie Kennedy? And immediately I thought, wow, why didn't I think of that? It's such a great story. I don't know of it having been done in fiction. There are two women that I admired already from the start, and the way that their stories come together in this strange, difficult 
love affair is, you know, in which they became rivals for the same man is just perfect for a novel shape. So I could I could see the whole novel in my head right away. I'm so grateful to Barbara, by the way. If any of your listeners want to write to me with um, an idea for a, a novel that I might write, it is the best gift you can give to a novelist. And I'll dedicate the book to you if I use your idea. <laughs> So have you met Barbara since then? We haven't met. We're just social media friends, but I desperately want to go to Athens and meet her. It'd be lovely. Yes, yes. So as we've said, the the two most admired and privileged women in the world, you just get this funny, funny feeling of kind of, I wouldn't use quite the word curse, but like they both had very black fate around their lives. And I wonder if it's a little bit like Icarus trying to, fly too high to the sun. Do you feel there's an element of that in their stories? Maria Callas never wanted to be famous. It was her mother that really pushed her to be a singer. Maria wanted to get married, to to have children and to be a good Greek housewife. But she was pushed into the music. And, you know, once she started getting all the reviews, obviously that's kind of addictive. And it's lovely to have people saying that you're the greatest first soprano that ever lived, which a lot of opera experts say about her. But all the same, when she met Anastas, she would have quite happily stepped off the opera circuit and just looked after him and been his wife. That's all she wanted. So I don't think she did chase fame in that way. It, It came to her. I mean, she did have an extraordinary voice, so that helped it to come to her. But with Jackie Kennedy, I think she did want a more interesting life. She'd been engaged before John F. Kennedy. She was um, engaged to a man called John Husted, a stockbroker. And um, when she looked at the life she would have with him, it seemed too prescribed. She would have to live in one area and have her country house on the coast and have the exact right number of children and bring them up in the exact way. He was part of a dynasty with a very strong mother and she could see her life mapped out and she didn't want that. She wanted a more exciting, glamorous life. She wanted to be useful in some way. And um, along comes this, at the time, congressman, um, John F. Kennedy, with fierce ambition, burning ambition. And she could see that she could really play a role in his life. And I think she loved being on the international stage. She didn't love the invasion of privacy that came with it. You know, all the photographers snapping her whenever she went out and describing her hairstyle and her clothes. But you could say that she sought fame a little bit more than Maria did. But in absolutely no way did she deserve what happened to her. I mean, Dallas was just the most huge, shocking, traumatic event for the world. But, you know, imagine what it's like, you know, to be her, which is what I had to do in writing about her, to try and think what it felt like to be sitting next to your husband as he was shot in the head in a car in Dallas. Yeah, yeah, quite. And then, of course, she lost Bobby as well, so... You can understand why she might have almost been in post-traumatic stress when she was starting to consider Onassis as a possibility. You give the impression in the book that the relationship that each of those women had with Ari Onassis was quite different. The impression comes through that Maria and Ari were pretty much soulmates. You know, they shared that Greek soul, whereas Jackie, it was quite a different thing. Is that fair comment? I think so. I mean, there's a lot to be said for the fact that Ari and Maria had the shared Greek heritage. They spoke Mm. the same 
first language. They liked the same food. They had the same outlook on the world from both being Greek. Whereas Jackie had very little in common with him. I mean, she she was a huge reader. Ari didn't read books. Jackie loved the arts, you know, and Ari really, I mean, Maria used to make him come along and listen to her in the opera one time, but um, he didn't didn't enjoy it particularly. He wasn't particularly creative in that way. But with Maria, they just had this whole Greek enjoyment of life. I just, I mean, it's very hard to understand what Jackie married him for. She had so many other men pursuing her after John died. She had, you know, very well qualified men who liked the arts, who had enough money. But Ari came along, as you say, at a time when she was totally shaken by Bobby's assassination. And four months later, she just, she she married Ari for safety. She thought his money could buy her safety. Mm. She really wanted an international protector, didn't she? Because you mentioned that there was even some suggestion from uh, the FBI or her security men that that some of these nutters were aiming to try and kill her children. Yeah. Yeah, the number of death threats against her and her children skyrocketed after Bobby's assassination. I mean, it's just Mm. unthinkable. She said mm. to friends, she said, they're killing Kennedys. My children are Kennedys. It's, it must have been terrifying for her. Mm. But mm. she hadn't thought it through. She hadn't thought through what she was marrying Ari for. She hadn't decided where the children were going to be schooled. And in fact, maybe when she married him, she thought, oh, we can live in Greece. But within two months, she was back living in New York again, because that's where her children belonged. That's where their friends were. That's where they were established in school. So not that much changed about her life in that sense, but she had a lot more spending money. (laughs) Yes, that's right. So they did become desperate rivals for the same man, but I think I got the impression from the book that when Jackie married Ari, he, he led her to believe that Maria was completely a thing of the past, and I think Jackie probably believed that at the beginning, did she? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what she believed. I don't know if it would have mattered that much to her in the state that she was in when she accepted Mm. his proposal. Mm. I mean, it was Mm. common knowledge that he'd been with Maria for nine years. They were Mm. pictured in the papers. The previous November, I mentioned this in the novel, when they came out of a nightclub and um, reporters were shouting at them, when are you you two going to get married? And Ari replied, oh, you're too late, we're already married. Jackie would have seen these stories in the paper. I just don't think she was thinking about Maria at all. When when Ari proposed and she thought she could see safety, she accepted. She also wasn't thinking about the fact that her sister Lee had wanted to marry Onassis as well. Lee Mm. had had an affair with him earlier on in the 60s and was desperate to get his ring on her finger. I think it was the money that Lee was after rather than, you know, anything else. But hey, and Jackie didn't tell her that she was dating him. She didn't tell her that she was planning to marry him. She got Ari to ring and tell her own sister that they were getting married in a couple of days' time. says a lot about their relationship as sisters, really. Yeah, it does. And it does say a lot about the way Jackie operated. I mean, you you could sympathise with Lee feeling a bit betrayed there, didn't you? Mm, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So why do you think that Ari didn't marry Maria when he had the chance, when he had many chances? Oh, because he had her already. He didn't. Yeah. I think 
you know, it, he, he had never wanted to get divorced from his first wife. He would quite happily have stayed with Tina, kept all his marriage and, and his children's inheritance in one place, and then just had affairs with whoever he wanted to have affairs with. But when he got together with Maria Callas, it was so public and Tina was so humiliated that she left him. And in fact, for the first few months, he was desperately trying to save that marriage, trying to make her come back because he just didn't want to give away half his fortune or whatever percentage it was. So when Maria came along, he really didn't want to get married again and risk that breaking up and giving away more of his fortune. I mean, he was very generous to Maria, but, you know, as I make clear in the novel, I don't think she was ever after him for his money. I think she absolutely loved him with all the passion of her opera singer's heart. And so it wasn't about money for her. But she says, I mean, I have seen her in interviews with Barbara Walters later on in the 1970s. Barbara's asked, but, you know, why didn't you marry? And she said, oh, I didn't want to marry. But I think she was just being proud then. I think she really would have liked to be his wife, Mm. the one who Mm. looked after him as he went into old age. Mm. Mm. That's right. The other thing that struck me as I was reading it, was that they all died relatively young. They did, yeah. Which is so tragic. I mean, I don't think any of them quite made 70. Was Ari 69? No, Ari was 71, I think. Um, Oh, he was 71. Yeah. Yeah, Okay, yeah. Um, Yeah. Maria was only 53 when she died of heart failure, of a heart attack, which they think was brought on. She was using sleeping pills and tranquilizers, you know, Valium and, and Xanax and lots of drugs that really had just come out in the 60s. And people didn't know what effect they had at the time. You know, it hadn't been mm. fully explored. Mm. And I think mm. she was using them a bit too carelessly. She wasn't, she was getting them prescribed by different doctors. She got her sister in Athens to send her boxes when it became difficult to get them in Paris. And that obviously put a huge strain on her heart. So mm. she died mm. very, very sadly at 53. Jackie died at the age of 64 of Hodgkin's, but I can't believe that it didn't have something to do with her lifelong smoking habit. She'd started smoking when she was 15 because um, as a way to keep her weight down. Yeah, she was a, a lifelong smoker. She's very careful not to be photographed smoking. If you Google Jackie Kennedy smoking, you can find the odd picture here and there, but she kept it very secret. But yeah, no, that can't have helped because otherwise she was a very fit, active woman. But mm. the smoking mm. may have been. And then, of course, all their children had these terrible, yeah. sad. Yeah. And yeah. when Ari's son died and Jackie's son died in small plane crashes, it's just, it's, it's such a weird coincidence. Mm. But in both cases, I don't think it's any curse of the Kennedys. No, no. Some magazine journalists would talk about at the time. I think, you know, in the case of Ari's son, it was a clear mechanical failure of a part that had been replaced in the plane the day before. And with Jackie's son, he just wasn't experienced enough as a pilot in flying in the conditions he was flying in. A fog Mm. came down as he was flying from New Jersey to Martha's Vineyard. And what he should have done is to fly instruments only and just Mm. trust the instruments in the plane rather than trying to get a visual context of where he was. And he just wasn't experienced enough to do it. He was looking out the window, they reckon, and trying to steady the plane that way. And he just went into a dive that he couldn't come out of. Mm. That's what Mm. the air crash Mm. investigators Mm. decided. Very sad. Mm. And you do get a feeling with Ari that 
he lost his will to live after Alexander died or that it was it was a huge had huge impact on Absolutely. I mean any bereavement has a huge impact on the immune system in the body mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. after Alexander died that Ari was diagnosed with something called myasthenia gravis which is an autoimmune disease that causes muscle weakness and the cause of myasthenia gravis, it could be brought on by stressful events in your life. So mm-hmm. there's a really direct connection there physically, but also, I think, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, he just didn't have that drive anymore. I mean, before Alexander died, he'd been trying to make this huge deal with the Greek government to control shipping of oil supplies for the world, basically. And then after Alexander died, he just let it slip away. He let the businesses go. He just didn't have the appetite for it anymore. Mm. And there's a thread in the story. I hope that I'm not giving anything away for people who... But Ari and Maria did conceive a child together, who obviously, unfortunately, did not live to full term. But is that's, that's a historical fact, is it? Or is it speculation? <laughs> <laughs> that was a rumour at the time. There was a child called Omero that was born in that hospital and a rumour sprang up that it had been Maria Callis's and Onassis's child and um, they didn't ever comment on that. Um, I don't think, I mean, I don't think it was. Certainly Maria's first husband said that she was physically incapable, gynaecologically incapable of um, carrying children. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think that's true. I wish Maria could have had a child. You know, all, all that fantastic, you know, voice would have been great to have that passed on. Yes, yes, but, that's um, right. You make a very nice um, sort of thread in, in the novel with that story anyway. It's, it's, it's woven into it very nicely. I, I, yeah, I kind of had to mention it because it's, you know, if you Google them, it's there. People will have heard of it. So I had to refer to it somehow. And I liked the fact that when he, you know, Onassis left Maria for Jackie Kennedy, Jackie had a son the age that Maria's son would have been. It just mm. increased the poignancy. Mm. Mm. That's right, yeah. And you have Jackie at one point in the story, very late in the story, I think after Ari's died, she says to Maria, he clearly should have married you, not me. That's a novelist's um, license, is it? It is. So I'm writing about these two amazing women who I admire immensely. And as far as we know, they never met in real life. But as a novelist, I couldn't have have these two women, the two strands. You know, I tell the story alternately from Maria's point of view and Jackie's point of view. They had to meet at some point. So I have made their paths overlap a couple of times in the novel, in fact. And that last meeting when when Jackie said he should have married you it's speculation would she have said that I don't know I just thought it would have been a nice thing for her to say so that's why I put it in yeah that's right yeah and the other disclosure for me was that and I think this is historical that Onassis had been secretly planning to divorce her for a number in fact within two years of the marriage he was starting to do sneaky things to try and and disengage um that's was pretty amazing too she didn't know anything about that no no the deal in marrying Jackie Kennedy didn't work out for him 
the way he'd hoped it would. You have to go back to the 1950s when he was arrested in the States and fingerprinted and put in jail overnight with, he said, a load of criminals over some irregularities with his shipping empire, some ships that he'd bought from the American government after the war. And in the end, in 1955, he pled guilty to a minor charge of flying a ship under the wrong flag and he paid a fine. But he was so furious with America at the time and so humiliated by this that he took all his businesses off to Europe. He closed down his shipbuilding in the States, he closed his offices and he moved back to Europe. And that really stuck in his craw. He wanted he wanted to get back into the American market, but more than that, he wanted to win their approval and admiration. And he thought by marrying their grieving widow, you know, John F. Kennedy's widow, that he would get the kind of respect in the States that he felt was his due. And instead, because he was 23 years older and, you know, and came along and just whisked her away so quickly, the American press was hostile. You know, there were headlines like Jackie Murray's blank check. All the stories were just portraying him as this sad sugar daddy type. So it completely went the opposite to the effect that he'd been hoping to have. Instead of getting respect, he was a laughing stock in some ways. Also, Jackie, he had a wife who was living on the other side of the Atlantic from him because he had to be based in Europe for his businesses most of the time. And she stayed in New York, except coming to spend her summers in Greece. And she was hugely expensive. She, you know, he gave her this massive allowance per month and still she was sending more bills to his Olympic Airways office. And when he went back to Maria, he realised, you know what, this is what a wife should be like. Because um, I don't think I'm giving in too much away about the story to say that he did resume his affair with Maria after marriage and was very close to her. You know, they resumed their closeness. So this marriage was just not working for Ari. And yes, he was trying to divorce her, but it was moving very slowly because as we've seen, you know, his money meant a lot to him and he just didn't want to give away too much of it in any divorce settlement. Did he achieve his goal in the end? I mean, she still got a pretty good settlement, didn't she? She did. She did, yes. Um, In fact, it was Christina Onassis, his daughter, that really fought her in the end to limit the amount that she got. I think she walked away with $26 which she invested really wisely and, uh, you know, it was, was set up for life, basically. And you didn't take the temptation of going on further to her relationship with Morris Templeman's, because I see that actually he was the one who probably was mainly responsible for hugely growing that yeah, legacy yeah. that she got from Onassis. And she had a very happy relationship with him for the last decade of her yeah. life, didn't she? Although mm. from all I've read... Theirs was a companionship rather than a particularly passionate relationship. I mean, with her, my impression is that John F. Kennedy was the great love of her life. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be hard to top that with all of the adrenaline and drama that was involved, I guess. Yeah. 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 So you travel a lot to research your books. I know we've talked about this in the past. So what kind of travel did you have to do for this one? And I think also I've read somewhere that you said it took a lot longer to finish it than you'd first expected. So tell us a little about the process. 
The difficulty with Jackie and Maria, the second marriage, is that I wanted to be very even-handed in the way that I treated the two women. That was very important to me. I didn't want to be on one side or the other. And people, I think a lot of readers will be coming to it already knowing about Jackie Kennedy, about the fact that she'd been married to the president who was shot. And Mm -hmm. so they have that knowledge. And, And she gets automatic sympathy because of that. Whereas Maria Callas, if you know anything about her at all, then you may have heard that she was quite a difficult, demanding woman called a diva by the newspapers at the time. So I wrote and rewrote the beginning chapters. It's in the beginning of a book that readers make up their mind about characters, whether they like them or not. And I just wrote and rewrote those chapters to really try and get you to care about Maria as well as Jackie and to care about what happens to both of them, to feel sympathy for both of them. That's my goal in the book anyway. So in terms of research, you know, I tend to do my location research after I've written the first draft because it's not, I'm not writing in huge detail about the location, just a few brush strokes to help you to feel the atmosphere. You know, the plot and the character are my main drivers and and so I go to the locations usually after I've finished a first draft and then I can just get a few details that will bring it to life, hopefully. Yes. So the, yeah. the, the most fun research trip I did for this one was to Scorpius, to Onassis's private island in the Ionian Islands in Greece. And oh my goodness, what a hardship it was. <laughs> it's so <laughs> beautiful. Just stunning. I'd been to other Greek islands, but I hadn't been to the Ionians before. And they're much greener. They're further north. They're all covered in trees, different kinds of deciduous trees and beautiful blue sparkling water. Now, Scorpius is a private island that's owned now by a Russian billionaire. But we stayed on a nearby island and we hired a motorboat and we drove, my partner and I drove out there and went round a few times. And a security guard came out in his boat and asked us to leave. And he had a gun in his holster. So I thought, "Mm, okay, we'll just, but then we drove around to the next bay. I really wanted to go ashore. We drove around to the next bay and I just dived off the boat and I swam ashore. And I've got some photographs of me standing on the shore. And I picked up a little acorn and um, a seashell. From, it was Jackie's private beach, I later found out, and I got them as souvenirs. <laughs> so, <laughs> very cool. <laughs> what I found out from being there, I mean, Jackie was a big swimmer and I love swimming as well. So I could really see what she loved about, you know, being on that island. The water is absolutely crystal clear and you could swim quite easily from one bay to the next around there. There's, there's really good routes that you could swim. I could see why she would love it. I mean, it's just stunning landscape. But I also, in the island that we were staying on, which is called Lefkada, I wandered around Lefkada town and I came across an old man who had a museum of the phonograph in his front room. He just had a little sign up and he had a collection of, of you know, rare recordings and so forth. And he told me about a time when Maria and Aristotle came for dinner in Lefkada And she stood up and gave an impromptu concert and he'd been there. He had a couple of photographs. He said it was one of the fondest memories of his life. How amazing. So little things like that, that didn't make its way into the novel, but uh, it was just lovely to, I mean, they are local heroes. There's There's a statue of Aristotle along the quay there. And a lot of restaurants have a dish that was said to be his favorite dish, which is this enormous cholesterol-heavy thing of veal and pork and cheese and tomato and 
And I ordered it one night and took a photograph of it. And I thought, I can't actually eat that. It was so greasy. <laughs> that was said to be his favourite meal. <laughs> yeah, no, I had a lot of fun researching this one for sure. That's lovely. Now, you mentioned sympathy. And I did wonder, did you feel more sympathy for one or the other? And did that feeling change as you wrote the book? I, I was... <laughs> I felt that Maria needed reassessment more than Jackie did because so many biographies carry on this this image of the difficult woman. And I don't know, I think it's a feminist thing, but when somebody calls a woman difficult and you look at the reasons, the reasons were, for example, that she was so perfectionist about her craft. If she had a concert due, she would ask the orchestra to stay and keep rehearsing until she was absolutely ready. And maybe that made her unpopular. There were little dramas with other opera singers at La Scala and around the world uh, that were blown up by the press office to get people to come to concerts. It's just, it was all manufactured mostly. The other thing with Maria is that her own mother spoke out against her. She gave a an interview to a, a Time magazine journalist saying how difficult Maria was as a daughter. And, and then she wrote a memoir saying that, bizarrely, that Maria had been in a car accident at the age of five and it had made her a really twisted, bitter character, which there's no evidence for at all. And I thought, oh my gosh, with mothers like that, you know, who needs enemies? It's a horrible... Yeah. She really got the short straw with families. So the more I read, the more I was disbelieving all these people saying that she was a difficult character. What I noticed reading between the lines was that she had a large, extremely loyal group of friends and that made me like her. Yeah, yeah. That was the first step. You know, I really felt that it was getting to know her. With Jackie Kennedy, I came with far more preconceived ideas. So I wasn't reassessing her quite so much. But for myself, I wanted to answer the questions why did she stay with a man who was unfaithful to her on an industrial scale? I'm talking about John F. Kennedy. I mean, we <laughs> now know that he was just all over the, you know, he was just sleeping with everybody. <laughs> and yeah. so that was one question. But also, why did she marry Onassis when she had so many other choices there? What was she thinking of? You know, she didn't have anything in common with him. So I just kept reading and forming my own picture until... I thought I could understand it. Now, I'm not saying this is the truth. I've written a novel, but I try to put myself into their shoes and see what it must have felt like to be them and come up with a version of them that feels emotionally true to me. So yes. I guess there's a bit of my thinking in there as well. I'm definitely yeah. not saying I've got the right answer. <laughs> yeah. I think one of another of the Jackie books that I read actually has even hinted that that sister Lee may have even dallied with JFK herself. Yeah. I mean, he was Jackie's husband. Yeah. So there was not much loyalty on either side, really, was there? Mm. Well, Lee, Lee's first husband, Michael Canfield, claims that he overheard her having sex with JFK in the next room. So, but perhaps he was bitter because she did divorce him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and friends of Jackie's, one friend of Jackie's said that she knew about it at the time and just with her icy cool decided not to rock the boat. Mm, Odd yeah. decisions. Yeah. 
Look, it is the joys of binge reading. So we do want to just quickly check back with you on what you might be reading now and anything that you've got to recommend for us. What do you what are you what are you into at the moment? Well, I've actually been reading loads of historical fiction this summer because I'm a judge of the Historical Writers Association novel competition at the moment, which has been wonderful. I've been forced to read you know, ancient Roman and Greek and medieval and all kinds of historical fiction that I wouldn't normally pick up myself. And yeah, yeah, I've discovered some wonderful books. One of them I'd really like to mention is, and uh, by the way, I'm not, the judges haven't chosen the winner yet, but one of my favourites is by Sarah Leipziger and it's called Coming Up for Air. She's a Canadian author I'd never heard of before. And her novel is set in three different time periods with different characters, different countries, which can be a difficult thing to do. But I was quickly absorbed in each of the stories. There's one in 1890s Paris as a young girl is about to jump off a bridge into the Seine at night and kill herself. There's Toymaker in Norway in the 1950s, living in the islands, a very tough lifestyle, very harsh. And then there's a, a girl in... 1980s, 90s Ottawa in Canada, who has cystic fibrosis and every morning has to clear her lungs in order to stay alive. And it's about breathing and swimming and drowning and that fine line between being alive and not being alive anymore. It's really beautifully written book. And the three plots, which are equally absorbing, come together in such a clever way. I can't tell you how they come together, but it's so clever. I love it. Yeah, Um, That's great. That's wonderful. Now, you've mentioned swimming a number of times, and I know that when we talked last time, you confessed how you swim year-round in London in an open-air pool in the park near you. Have you been able to continue with that through COVID? This is going to make me sound so spoiled, but the worst thing about lockdown for me was that my pond closed for four months while they figured out ways to make it COVID safe. It it reopened in July and I'm going there every day at the moment, but uh, we have to book a time slot and go in a very organised way now. So I haven't got that spontaneity. I can't just finish writing a chapter and think, oh, I'll swim now. But yeah, no, I missed it terribly while, while it was gone. And is COVID also restricting your research for your next book? Well, interestingly, lockdown was very helpful for my next book because I I finished first draft back in January, I think, but I wasn't happy with it. And I showed it to a few people and they said, oh, yes, no, we really like it. But I knew I liked the middle and the ending, but I wasn't convinced I had the right beginning. This is my 10th novel, Jenny. You'd think I'd know how to do it by now, but each novel has its own challenges and, and difficulties that it throws up. So during lockdown, I tried it with six different beginnings. I, and you can't just change the beginning. You've then got to change it all the way through. And I found the one that I think is the best. And uh, I've sent it to my editor and that's now I'm waiting to get the edits back. So I think without lockdown, it would have been very hard to get that total immersion and concentration that this book needed. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us anything about that book? I will, I will. <laughs> so in um, November 1922, the tomb of Tutankhamun was discovered in Egypt in the Valley of the Kings. And when you look at photographs of the time, you know, the black and white photographs, there's Howard Carter, the archaeologist, 
there's Lord Carnarvon, the sponsor of the, of the dig, and there's a very short woman standing between them, and her name is Lady Evelyn Herbert. And she was, in fact, the first person to crawl inside the tomb for 3,500 years and um, see the treasures inside. And she's been written out of history. And I love finding women that have been written out of history that I can write back in. So I'm telling <laughs> her story and I tell it from two different points in her life about how this discovery of the most amazing tomb ever discovered, how it changed her life in particular. So that will be coming out in autumn 2021. And have you got anything else on the go? Now, ah, you're pushing me now. <laughs> I do have a new idea that I've, I've brainstormed with my American editor, but I'm not at the stage where I'm able to divulge. You'll be the first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Look, um, I know that you've got a whole host of popular readers and you're sold all over the world. I mean, funnily enough, I was Googling historical fiction on the amazon.com.au site today, mm-hmm. just seeing what different books might be selling in Australia from other countries. And there you were, happily in the, in the top ten. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful yeah. news. Thank yeah. you. I think it was The Secret Wife, actually. Oh, that's so exciting. All over the world. So where can readers reach you and how can they reach you? Oh, listen, I'm very easy to reach and I love it when readers get in touch. I'll always reply. So I've got a website with the contact button and that's jillpole.com. I'm on Facebook and Twitter as Jill Paul Author. That's G-I-L-L-P-A-U-L Author, joined up. And I'm on Instagram on Jill.Paul1. And I'd love to hear from any of your listeners that want to get in touch. That's lovely, Jill. And we'll put all of those links into the show notes for this episode. So they'll be up there forevermore as as a as a permanent record online, which is nice. So people will be able to find it in another few months. Oh, thank you so much. Gosh, what great questions you came up with today. This is wonderful. Thank you. Oh, look, thank you. But I I did cheat a little bit because, as you well know, you've got some really lovely stimulating questions at the back of the book for book clubs. Oh, yes. Have you had book clubs coming and getting involved with it? I haven't. I mean, it's only just out in um, America and Britain. It comes out in Britain when we're talking, it comes out tomorrow. This is the day before the British Pub oh, Day. So. Okay, so it's very new, yeah. yeah. But I am happy to actually do Skype, FaceTime and Zoom calls to book groups if they want, if we can make the time difference work. <laughs> yeah, that's lovely because there were some really stimulating questions there. I, I did manage to find quite a few of my own, oh, but yeah. there were a few that got me thinking. Oh. Thank you. Okay, my dear, lovely to catch up and thank you so much. All the best with your sales for this book. Thank you so much. Thank you. All the best to you too. Okay, Deb, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices 
at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.